you, Nigel. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back here. I was not here last week. I was traveling. And uh, since he's sitting right in front of me, uh, I have to always pick on Brother John Varghese. So that's a tradition now. Uh, but I did, I did hear from, from Rina that uh, their daughter, Becky, who is in Germany, listens to the recordings of our message, and she gets a real kick out of hearing her dad's name mentioned. So, uh, so there you go, John. You can expect it every time I'm up here. But, but I want to say I appreciate Brother John Verghese because every time that I'm not here, I immediately, soon after the meeting, sometimes before it's even over, I get a, a WhatsApp message from him saying, I did not see you there today. I hope everything is okay. Uh, I hope all of you have that experience that there's somebody here that's looking out for you and misses you when you're not there. So, uh, so thank you, Brother John. That's a great example for, for everybody to, uh, you know, to um, uh, be looking out for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so this morning I wanted to a uh, little bit sort of pick up from uh, where I left off last time. If, uh, if you were here, uh, you know, we had a, a fairly, um, um, I would say, an intense message last time. Today won't be to that extent, and, and if you did not have an opportunity, please do go and listen to that message. Uh, we did uh, post the links for all of you. Uh, it's on our website, uh, really talking about the, uh, the problem of sin and immorality in the church. And, um, you know, very often when we, when we are faced with that kind of uh, situation, when we uh, come across uh, somebody that uh, in the church who... Uh, who has perhaps gotten into some uh, immorality, the, the immediate question that people ask is, well, was he saved or was she saved? Is he really saved or is she really saved? And that's sometimes a very difficult question to answer. Uh, but uh, as with all such questions, I think we need to go back to Scripture. And I want to ask this question to each of us this morning. How can we know uh, capital K-N-O-W. How can we know that we have eternal life? Is it possible to know that you really have eternal life? What does scripture have to say about it? Um, how do you know that you have eternal life? Is it because once upon a time when somebody uh, was speaking, you said a prayer, they recited a prayer and you recited it after them? Uh, is it because somebody uh, made an altar call and you went to the front? Um, is it because you got baptized uh, at some point in time? Is that, because, is that why you think that you are saved? And, uh, you know, the Apostle John, uh, in this passage that he wrote, uh, in, this pa- in this epistle that he wrote, and in this passage that we read this morning, he, uh, he actually gives the reason why he wrote, uh, he wrote this, uh, uh, this book. And if we, uh, if we go and look therein, we can see, in uh, verse uh, 11, he says, uh, uh, God has given us, this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. Right? Verse, verse 11. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. Okay? So eternal life is given by God. That life is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he says, He who has a son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Alright, so again, he says that, how do you know you have eternal life? Because you have the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, living in you. 
but again that's not something that uh, that we can really put our hands around and uh, and really uh, you know see and experience with our senses and then he goes on uh, verse 13 he says these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god so he says i have written these things and he's about to tell us the reason why he has written them he says these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know okay look at that again underline that that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life so i believe that the reason the apostle john wrote uh, this epistle is uh, and he wrote it to uh, <clears throat> to a group of believers uh, is so that they would know that they had eternal life that they would be able to examine their own life he gave them sort of a, a rubric or a or a framework uh, with which they could examine their own lives and establish whether they are truly in the faith whether they really have eternal life and uh, it was written so that they would be sure that they would have the surety uh, in their life through the experiences that they're going through so before we get into that let's just talk about what is salvation so i don't have time to look at uh, at these verses i'll just look at one first corinthians 6 verse 11 first corinthians 6 and verse 11 uh, it says and such were some of you so the apostle paul here he's talking about various sins you know he talks about fornicators idolaters adulterers homosexuals and so on thieves covetous drunkards extortioners he says none of these will inherit the kingdom of god and he says such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of lord jesus of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god notice how we use that word but several times you know the but is important you know you were all of these things you were steeped in sin but three things he says there you were washed right you have been washed you have been cleansed you have been cleansed by the blood of jesus christ secondly you were sanctified you were set aside you were set apart for a purpose and third you were justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god you were justified so god has declared you justified as if you had not sinned he has he has judicially declared you as righteous and uh, and that is what salvation is if we go to ephesians 2:1 uh, it says that uh, that you hath he made alive that he has quickened you he has made you alive who were dead in your sins and trespasses so salvation is is this this instant this um event in your life where you go from being dead completely like a dead body to being quickened and made alive through the power of god alone um in second corinthians 5:17 it says that if you are in christ you are a new creature behold all things have become new right you are a new creation in christ jesus and then um, salvation also in- involves repentance let's also look at acts chapter 26 the book of acts chapter 26 and verse 20 acts 26 and verse 20 acts 26 and verse 20 says but declared first 
declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. And here you go, that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. So salvation also in, involves repentance. Uh, repentance is a verb. Okay, it's a verb. Uh, it's not a noun. It, is, it means to change one's mind for the better. It means a turning with contrition from sin towards God. And it says here very clearly that, um, that, uh, that they must repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. So in scripture very clearly it's, you know, repentance is always associated with action. It's associated with works that follow repentance. That when we repent, uh, it will be reflected in the things that we do. So what is salvation? Salvation is a change. It is a regeneration that produces fruit in our life. Now, unfortunately, the reality in the world today is that in the church today is that they may, they may very well, there very well are many who have perhaps grown up in the church and they may not be truly saved. And this is uh, an important thing that we should realize and we should speak about because it, it is, this is about eternity. This is about where you will spend eternity. And there are many among us perhaps who have lived their entire lives because we grew up. I mean, I know from the moment that I was born, I've been hearing scripture, I've been praying at home, I've been going to church, I've heard thousands upon thousands of messages, and I knew all the right things to say. And, uh, uh, you know, when it came to salvation, nobody needed to tell me what the gospel was. It was drilled into me from the time I was a little child. And it's very easy to go through this and to become a cultural believer. You know, you're culturally a believer because that's what your parents believe, because that's what the society and the people that you are part of expect. And uh, if you don't do that, then you are therefore bringing dishonor to your family. I mean, all manner of reasons why people sometimes go along. They sort of go with the flow, even though the faith is not real even though they really haven't come to that point of repentance, of understanding their sin, of turning to Christ and looking to Him for salvation. And those of us who have been brought up with a Christian background and in a believing culture, uh, this problem is quite prevalent. I think it's important that we face up to it and, and really ask ourselves, uh, you know, are we truly saved? Does Scripture give us some signs and tests to know that you and I are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are truly saved for all eternity. So what I want to do today is, uh, is not an exhaustive study, but just quickly go through the, the epistle of 1 John and pick out 10 things or 10 tests that the Apostle John gives to us, which, um, which will be uh, things, 10 things that will be a characteristic uh, of the life of one who is truly a child of God. Now, I want to be a little careful as I get into this, and I, I do this with a little bit of uh, trepidation, knowing that this can be misunderstood, knowing that it can sow problems and doubts in people's minds. So it's very important that we look at these uh, very carefully and understand them and use them as a way, as a framework to evaluate our own life and the way we live to see if we are really saved. So there are 10 tests that we'll go through in a, starting in a minute here. Uh, now, not all of these may be true in your life and my life all the time. But the totality and the predominant part of our life experience should show these evidence. So when we look at our experience of our life over the last few years, we should be seeing some of these things 
in our life. And we may not all exhibit these things to the same degree. And that's where the maturity of believers comes in. So some believers are more mature in their walk. Others are new believers. Others are maybe stagnant believers. Others may be backsliding believers. Uh, We are all at different stages in our walk, in our growth, uh, in our maturity. And that will be reflected in the degree to which uh, these things are true in our life. Uh, One would also expect... Uh, that a true believer will evidence most of these things in his life at some point. Though there may be times of backsliding, there may be times of carnality where these things may not really be present there. They might be hard to spot. And those are again, uh, you know, occasion for us to examine where we stand and why that might be the case. So why is it that we may not see these things in our life? Could be possible that we are never truly saved, that we never were saved. That's a possibility that we must, each of us must confront uh, ourselves with as we, as we hear these things. Secondly, it must be, it, might, it could be because we have sin in our life, a sin that has created a barrier uh, in our fellowship with God, a sin that has caused us to stray from his will, from his, from his word. And, uh, you know, I go into this recognizing that sometimes, you know, when we talk about these things, it might cause us to doubt, it might cause us to Uh, to be confused about our own state. Uh, But I want to encourage each of you to just, as you listen to this, to, you know, don't look at any other person, don't look at those around you, but rather examine your own heart and and see if the Holy Spirit is really speaking to you and convicting you about this matter. Because like I said, it it is probably the most important thing in your life, you know, to have this surety to know whether you and I truly are in the Lord, whether we truly have trusted in Him, whether He has we have truly been cleansed and we have truly been washed and we have been set apart and we have been made righteous, justified, truly. And, uh, and it's important that we do that. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the purpose of this message is to make each of us examine our lives to see if you are showing the fruits of true salvation. You know, the Lord said that by their fruits ye shall know them. Right? By their fruits ye shall know them. Uh, and so if there is not fruit in our life, that is definitely something that we need to look at, that we need to introspect and understand where we really stand. So with that, let's uh, quickly go into the uh, 10 tests from the Apostle John. And we will start off with number 1. Let's read, uh, go to the first chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. 1 John 1, verse 2 and 3. Uh, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you, that, it, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Look at the last few words there of verse 3. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the first test is this. You know, are you enjoying intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God the Father? If you are a believer in Christ, you will have this intimate fellowship. You will have this communion or a relationship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we are called in 1 Corinthians 1.9, I don't have time to turn there, we are called into the fellowship of Christ. Fellowship means to, uh, to experience the abundant life with God 
and Christ. John 10.10, the gospel of John 10 verse 10 says, I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. You know, are you in intimate fellowship with God? Have you experienced the different aspects of God in your life? 2 Corinthians 1.3, have you experienced the God of all comfort when you go through trouble? 1 Peter 5.10, have you experienced the God of all grace? Uh, Philippians 4.19, have you experienced the God who supplies all your needs according to his riches in Christ? Romans 8.15, have you experienced the God who is called Abba Father? Um, Hebrews 4.16, have you experienced the God to whom you can draw near in times of trouble? Do you sense the presence of God in your life? And it's very hard to relate what this means, but we're talking here about that relationship. Do you have a relationship with God that, that you would with, say, any other human being that you're with? And maybe the, the best uh, illustration here is the, the, the relationship between a husband and a wife. Perhaps, you know, at the time that you, you get married or around the time that you get married or right before uh, you're about to get married and you have that desire to know each other better, to spend time with each other, to build that intimacy, you know, to, to, to really uh, become one. Do you have that kind of a relationship and a desire to have that kind of a relationship with God and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you sense His presence in your life? Do you have a love for God and Christ? This is an emotional thing. Do you have that, that desire in your heart and in your mind? Do you have the joy of talking to Him through prayer? Do you want to spend time with him? Do you have the joy of discovering a truth, a new truth in his word? Do you spend time in his word so that you can get to know him? Do you have that desire? You know, we have desires for so many things. You know, the things that we enjoy doing. You know, as a believer, it is, it is, it is, it is absolutely essential that if you are a believer, you will have that desire. Now, you might not always act on it. You might fall short uh, in terms of acting on it, but... You must have that seed of desire to say, you know what? I want to know Christ. I really want, as, as Paul said, to know Christ and to know him intimately. That is what our desire should be. And that is a test that, that John is giving here. He says that our fellowship, uh, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Do you have that, that, that intimate fellowship with him? Do you regard him as, as your Father, God as your Father? Do you regard... Jesus Christ is your savior and do you have that desire to know him more and more and more? Have you enjoyed, are you enjoying intimate fellowship with Christ and the Father? 1 John 1, 2 and 3. That's the first thing. The second point we'll find in same chapter, verse 5 and 6. So if you can turn to 1 John 1, verse 5 and 6, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The second test of whether you are truly in the faith is, are you sensitive to sin? Are you sensitive to sin? Here in this verse, we read that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is absolutely sinless. And you cannot have fellowship with, you know, the light cannot have fellowship with darkness. You cannot be in darkness and have fellowship with him who is the light. Now when we go down to verse 8, you know, he says that if we say that we have no, no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we're not talking here about sinless perfection, but we are talking about when we sin, it says here in verse 8 again, uh, that verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we have that sensitivity to sin in our life? You know, we as believers, we are to walk in the light. And that includes confessing our sins. It includes having a sense in our life of the unacceptability of sin. You know, our desire is to have no sin. If we come to chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So we are, you know, our desire is to have no sin. Our desire should be to have no sin in our life. But if we sin, we know that we have an advocate and we confess to him and we go, through, go to him because we know that he can forgive us. Uh, in Romans 7, I'm not going to turn there, but verses 14 through 25, we see here Paul talking about a spiritual battle that is going on in the life uh, of a believer. And he uh, very eloquently, he he, uh, he describes this and he says the, the, that in my flesh I find that the things that I do not want to do, those things I do. And the things that I, I, I want to do, those things I do not do. And I say, I, I see this, this war, he uses the word, the, the, my members warring within themselves. And, and there's a spirit and there's a flesh and they're warring with each other. And very often young people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I've had people come and tell me in the past that, you know, I really struggle with sin. And why am I struggling with the sin? And I often tell them, you know, the fact that you're struggling with sin is a good thing. You know, it is a good thing. It means that your conscience is working. It means that, that the spirit is working in you and battling against the flesh. And if you don't have that struggle with sin, if you just go into sin and walk into sin and you are, uh, you know, you are wallowing in that sin, then that is a problem. So you will have a sensitivity to sin. And you know, when you, in our life, you know, if we are in situations where we are uh, practicing sin, where we are engaged in certain sins and we go into it and we practice these with, with, with no impunity and we don't feel guilty about it and we continue in it, then that's a problem. You know, that's what this test is about. Is do you, are you sensitive to sin? Do you feel that, that the spirit within you uh, convicting you of sin and, and, and convicting you of the wrongness of it and the, re, the need to repent and the need to confess and forsake that sin. If you do not, then that's a problem. You know, I remember very vividly uh, something that happened uh, almost 30 years ago, uh, back when I was a very young person uh, in college, studying in college. And, and there was a, a relative of mine who, um, who was a, a fine girl, but... Uh, you know, she got she got interested in this uh, in a, in a in a guy, and and this was a guy who checked all the boxes. You know, he was from the assembly, he was saved, he was all of these things, and and she was interested in him. Um, and then um, uh, you know they somehow got together, and um, and uh, and they got together, and and certain things happened between them, uh, and these were not good things. Okay, and uh, and then uh, a couple of days later. You know, I called her up to find out what was going on. And, and I, I still vividly remember what she told me. Um, so, you know, something had happened between them. They had gotten a little physical. You know, it didn't go to an extent, you know, where, uh, where things were really out of hand. But nevertheless, what she told me is, you know, when I left there and I went back to my room, I felt so dirty. 
you know, I felt so dirty that I went and I took a bath three times that evening. Um, you know, she had that conviction of sin. You know, that, that she felt physically dirty from what she had done uh, in those few hours. Uh, do you have that kind of sense when you engage in sin? When you are engaged in sinful acts, when you are doing things that you know are wrong, do you just leave it and you don't feel anything? If you don't feel anything, then you know, I have to say, you have to doubt whether you really have the Spirit of God within you. you know, because the Spirit of God within you will not sit still if He is truly there when you engage in that kind of sin. Do you have sensitivity to sin? Are you in fellowship? Are you enjoying intimate fellowship with Christ and the Father? Number two, are you sensitive to sin? The third point in 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. Let's read that. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So again, see, um, by this we know that we know him. That is, we know God. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So it's very clear here. The third test is do you obey God's word? You know, Matthew 28 verse 20, uh, you know, the, the Lord Jesus in his great commission, you know, he doesn't just say go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, that is not the end of the Great Commission. That was only the first part. What's the rest of it? Teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. Make disciples of them to observe all the things <clears throat> that I have commanded you. Watchful, careful, thoughtful obedience. And we're not just talking about an act of obedience, but a spirit of obedience. We're not talking about a check-the-box kind of obedience. The kind of obedience that asks, is this right, is this wrong? You know, as believers, as you mature, you shouldn't need to have those checklists. You know, you will know what is the word of God and you will have that desire to obey it and you will get joy and pleasure out of obedience to the word of God. It is not a legalistic obedience, but a gracious obedience out of gratitude for what Christ has done for you. You know, our, 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 our attitude should not be, is this wrong? Okay, that is absolutely the wrong thing to look at. Is this wrong? No, it should be, am I glorifying God by doing this? Or should I glorify God by doing something very different? You cannot, in verse 4 here, it says that you cannot be disobedient and truthfully say that you really know Him. So what is the pattern of your life? I'm not saying that we don't fall. I'm not saying that we don't disobey. I'm not saying that any of us are perfect. But what is the pattern of your life? Is it a pattern of obedience to the Word of God? Or is it a pattern of constant disobedience. If you are constantly living your life questioning the word of God, if you are constantly questioning and trying to rationalize yourself away from obedience and towards disobedience, then maybe we need to ask ourselves, does the Holy Spirit, does the Lord Jesus Christ truly live in our heart? Number three, do you obey the word of God? Number four, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Let's turn to verses 15 through 17. Of chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the world but it, not of the father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of god abides forever the third test do you reject this evil world do you reject the evil world or are you in love with the world and with worldly things our most compelling emotions and our most uh, you know our goals in our life should not be geared towards the world the world system it says here in first john 5:19 i want to turn they said it says that satan is the god of this world the world the cosmos that's a word that's used there it speaks of the worldly thinking it speaks of worldly philosophies it speaks of materialism it speaks of vain pursuits what as a christian these things should repel us if you are a child of god you should look at these things in a way that repels you you should not be attracted to it worldly things it says here it leads to lust and pride and sin in romans 12:2 it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind our mind should be so transformed and he says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and how do you renew your mind by going back to the word of god by examining the world against the word of god not looking at the world and then going to the word of god and saying is it okay for me to do this and that is it okay for me to participate in this activity and that activity what are the activities that we engage in what do they what do they say about us do they if somebody were to look at how we are spending our time you know in a day or a week you know would they if somebody was you know uh, from you know as they say if somebody if an alien came down from space and he could observe you you know um, what what would they say about you like what is it that really interests uh, you know this man or this woman where is his real um, you know his real joy come from now yeah, are they going to see you enjoying the word of god are they going to see you uh, enjoying spending time with the people of god are they going to see you enjoying doing good things for other people or are they going to see you enjoying being engrossed in the world in the entertainment of the world in the in the ways of the world in the activities that worldly uh, people engage in what is dominating your thinking and your actions are they worldly things or are they godly things number 4 do you reject the evil uh, the evil of the world or this evil world itself let's move on to the fifth item the fifth test first john chapter 3 verses 2 and 3 beloved now we are children of god and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be but we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure do you eagerly await the return of the lord jesus christ you know we all talk about oh the lord is going to return okay but what does our life show about our belief in that do we are we eagerly awaiting do we really live with that hope that is focused on christ's return that hope that will lead you to to says that everyone who has this hope does what he purifies himself you know if you are not purifying yourself day in and day out from the sins in your life it means you are not eagerly looking you don't think the lord is going to return anytime soon and you can just go on living the way you are living when you look at the way that we spend our time and spend our money you know are we accumulating you know we sometimes you know uh, the word of god says that we are to be living as pilgrims you know what was the characteristic of a pilgrim john 
on the road? Did the pilgrim have a home? Where did he live? Huh? Where did he live? In a in a tent. Okay, now I'm not saying everybody should go and live in a tent. That's not the point. Okay, the point is why do we accumulate so much? You know, we don't we think this life is going to go on and on and on and on, you know. That we're going to accumulate so much wealth so that I've got enough to retire and my children and their children have enough and I've got to make sure I have three houses so all three of my kids have that. You know, whereas the needs of the kingdom are going to waste, people are not willing to give for that. Is your hope of the return of Christ driving you to be more Christ-like? That's a sign of your salvation. Do you eagerly await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? The next point, chapter one, chapter three, first John three, verses four onwards. Whoever commits sin also commits. Actually, I'm going to ask somebody else to read that. Somebody who has an ESV, please read verses four through ten real loud. Ten. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born Mm. of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not Mm. love his brother. He who practices sin is not of God. Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? You know, when we talk about this matter of practicing sin, you think about the word practice, what comes to mind? The thing that comes to mind for me is repetition, okay? If you are a sportsman, you're practicing whatever you're playing, whether you're playing basketball, you know, those, those guys who are champion basketball players, they go out there and they keep shooting again and again and again in practice, okay? The reason they play so well in the game is because they spend hours And they shoot 200, 300, 400 times. They're shooting at that basket to perfect their technique and perfect the way that they shoot. You know, that's what practice means, repetition, keeping on doing. If you are keeping on doing sin, that is not compatible with the Christian life. That is what the Apostle John is saying. And sometimes this language may appear that we should not sin, but it does not. You know, if you look at the totality of scriptures, and sometimes people use these Versus they take it out of context to say that, that, that we should have sinless perfection. If you sin, you're going to lose your salvation. I don't want to get into that discussion. Uh, it talks about abiding in him. We're going to talk more about that at the camp. That's our theme. So I don't want to go there either. We don't have the time. But the point is when you look at the totality of, 
of, of even the first, uh, the epistle of John, where he talks about the fact that if we say we are without sin, then we don't say the truth. The, the fact is he's talking here about that repetitive practicing sin in our life. Um, and it says if we abide in Christ, then we will not sin. But the reality is that we do not always abide in Christ. You know, abiding in Christ is drawing strength from him, drawing strength from his word. And if you are not rooted into the word, then you are going to continue to sin. So it's important that over time as we grow in our Christian life, we abide more and more and sin becomes less and less uh, uh, a factor in our lives. And as you mature as a Christian, you know, as you go from drinking milk to eating meat, you should see that spiritual growth and sin should be a decreasing pattern in your life. None of us is going to attain that perfection in this life. But I hope that if you've been a Christian for you know, 10, 15, 20 years, that today your life is far less beset by sin than it was 20 years ago or at the time that you came to salvation. Number six, do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? This goes along with the other point we made earlier about sensitivity to sin. When you are sensitive to sin and when you confess it and when you repent of it, then you will see that the the pattern of sin in your life becomes a decreasing pattern. So let's go to number seven, verse 10. I think... uh, uh, John read that, but let's read this again. In this is the children, in this the children of God, chapter three, verse ten, uh, and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. You know, next test number seven: Do you love other Christians? Loving your brother and your sister in Christ, loving your fellow Christians, is a key mark. Of a Christian. There are so many verses here. I'm not going to go there. You can write it down. 1 John 2, 9 to 11. 1 John 3, 14 to 15. He talks about, about having, knowing that your brother has a need and having uh, what he needs with you and not giving it. And he says, how does the love of God abide in you if you do not meet the needs of your brother? Uh, John 13, uh, Gospel of John 13, 35. The Lord Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love uh, for one another. Loving means not just in word, but in deed also. Having fellowship. You know, do you look forward to being with fellow believers, sharing with them, studying the scriptures with them, spending time with them? You know, who do you want to hang out with most often? Why, why do you even come here? Do you just come here because your parents insist that you go to a church or assembly, go for worship the first day of the week so you can check the box again? Or do you come here because you genuinely have a desire? You know, if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, if you are truly saved, you will love being with your fellow believers more than you love being with anybody else. You know, those other folks will be acquaintances. But these will be your real friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, 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 we, sh- and, and we share something in common. You know, sometimes this time when I went to travel, I got to meet a family that I had never seen before. You know, never seen before, comes from a completely different background. I was able to go to their home. But, you know, within, within two minutes, we just clicked like that. Why? Because we had that foundation in Christ. And we could talk about our life stories and how we came to the Lord and how the Lord has led us in our lives. And, and it was like we were just joined together. There was no separation between us, even though we'd never met, you know, five minutes before. Do you have that kind of a bond with your fellow believers you know, because you have the same Holy Spirit living within you and he binds you together. Do you love other Christians? Let's move on to number eight. 
First uh, John three and verse twenty two. First John chapter three and verse twenty two. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do these things that are pleasing in his sight. Okay, whatever we do, we, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. Okay, do you, the next test is this, do you experience answered prayer? Does God answer your prayers? Now there's a prerequisite there. Okay, he says very clearly, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his Commands, commandments and do these things that are pleasing in his sight. Okay, this is not saying, Lord, I want a bigger house or I want an expensive car or I want this or that or I want to go on this expensive vacation. It's talking about keeping his commands and doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see what happens when you obey his commands, when you are doing what, living a life that is pleasing in his sight. You see, your very mindset will change, okay? Your prayers will change. You are not going to go and ask him for silly, willy things, you know, that things of the world and pleasures of the world. And, and that's why, you know, one of the tests is, do you love the world? You know, you'll stop loving the world and you won't even bother to ask him for those kind of things. You know, and, and you're, you're asking, your very prayer becomes aligned with the will of God. And when your prayer is aligned with the will of God, and the will of God will be fulfilled. You know, and your prayers will be answered. So do you experience answered prayer in your life? And to have answered prayer, it means you have to have a prayer life. How is your prayer life? Are you spending time with Him? Go back to the first point about the fellowship. If we're not spending time with God in prayer, then our intimacy is not going to be there in our fellowship. <clears throat> okay, let's go very quickly to number 9. 1 John 4 and verse 13. 1 John 4 verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and him in us because he has given us of his spirit. Do you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Does the spirit work in your life? You know the spirit was a primary worker, the primary person in the Godhead that brought you to salvation. But his work doesn't stop there. It goes beyond that. Does the Holy Spirit illuminate scripture to you? Does the word of God have an impact in that? When you read those scriptures, do they jump out of the page and, and, and have an application to your own life? That's the Holy Spirit who does that. Do you experience the filling of the Holy Spirit that you find yourself in situations where you behave in very unnatural ways that you didn't think you had the ability to do so? Do you experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness and self-control. Are you experiencing these fruits of the Spirit in your life? Do you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Very quickly, let's go to the last point, which is First uh, John chapter 3. Back to First John 3 and verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to love because we love the brethren. And so let's talk about the brethren. But do not be, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Have you suffered rejection because of your faith? Now, rejection comes in different forms. It doesn't mean that, you know, have you been persecuted and beaten up for your faith. But when you stand up for your faith, when you live a certain way, 
you know, when you follow uh, the word of God, you will face rejection. You know, rejection can be in many ways. It could be that people don't like you anymore because you don't go and engage with them in, in various activities. Maybe it's at your workplace. You know, when they want to go drinking and boozing in the evening, you don't go to them, they reject you. And they wonder what is wrong with you. Why don't you want to have a little bit of fun? 1 Corinthians 4.13 says that the Christians are the, the believers are the scum of the world, the dregs of all things to the worldly. 1 Peter 4.4 says the world thinks it odd that you do not run with them. The world thinks it odd that you do not run with them. Who are you running with? You know, if you are not running with them, you will face rejection. Philippians 2, 27 to 30, we must walk worthy of the gospel and only then will we likely face rejection. If you are not being rejected, okay, if you are not facing that rejection, maybe sometimes for some of you it's rejection from your own parents, you know, because you're standing up for your faith, because you've come from a, a different faith that is their faith, you've rejected that faith and you've turned to Christ and you've got to stand up and face that rejection. And when you are facing that rejection, that is a sign that you truly have uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit within you, that you are truly a child of God. Because it's only a child of God who really is motivated and led by the Holy Spirit who would bother, who would go through the pain of putting up with that rejection from time, sometimes from the people that are most dear to you. Have you suffered rejection because of your faith? Let me just recap these 10 tests. Have you enjoyed or are you enjoying intimate fellowship with Christ and the Father? Are you sensitive to sin in your life? Do you obey the word of God? Do you reject this evil world? Do you eagerly await the return of Christ and is it impacting the way you live? Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? Do you love your fellow believers and have a desire to be with them? Do you experience answers to prayer? Do you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And finally, have you suffered rejection because of your faith? So how do you and I stack up based on these tests from the Apostle John? Do you see all of these things operating in your life today? Then praise God and carry on towards greater maturity. Do you see some of these operative in your life and over time you see more and more evidence of these signs in your life as you study the word and as you spend more time in fellowship with believers. You're seeing more and more of these evidences in your life that were not there in the past. Then be assured that you are a child of God and, you, and keep on your journey towards greater maturity in your relationship with Christ. Do you see that some of these things were there in your life earlier but lately less so. Maybe they have been sporadic. Maybe they come and go. Perhaps you have something in your life that has caused you to regress in your walk with Christ. Examine yourself and see. Seek the help of the Holy Spirit to rejuvenate your walk with Him. And finally, if you have never seen any of these evidences in your life, if you are not seeing them today, perhaps you need to take a hard look. And ask yourself some tough questions. Ask yourself, am I really in the faith? Do I really, have I really trusted in Christ and his sacrifice alone for salvation from my sin? Am I really a child of God? 
regardless of where you are, may God guide you either towards a true relationship with Him or a growing relationship with Him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that your word speaks to our, our every need and uh, it addresses the issues that we face in our life, Father. Lord, I want to just commit each and every one of us who have listened to your word today. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, um, convict us, Lord, to examine ourselves in the light of these ten tests from your holy word. That each of us, Lord, would look deep into our hearts and ask ourselves whether we are in the faith, ask ourselves whether we are growing in the faith and respond to it, Lord, in a proper manner. Father, we just want to pray, Lord, that that we would have, Lord, that sensitivity to sin in our lives, that we would see that decreasing pattern, that we would see more intimate fellowship with you, that we would be spending time in your word and in prayer, that we would witness the Holy Spirit working in our lives, that we would stand up for our faith and face the rejection of others. Lord, we just want to thank you again for the word that you've spoken to us. We pray that it will continue to work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for each and every person, Lord, and pray for any here, Lord, who might, be, who might be thinking through this, who might be convicted, that they would seek your wisdom, that they would speak to someone, Lord, and that if there's any here, Lord, any who do not know you, truly know you, who have perhaps lived their life thinking that they were your child because they had been through the motions of Something they had grown up with, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would reach out. That in your grace, you would call them to yourselves. And that you would show them your grace. That you would bring them from death to life and make them your own. I ask these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I think uh, before the uh, announcements, we have a a baby dedication today. So I'm going to ask... uh, Rebbe to join me and we'll ask Lydia and Joby and little uh, Timothy and uh, the grandparents are here so we'll ask them all to come up huh? and Stephen big brother so I think Joby and Lydia are naming all their kids after my kids uh, so you got seven more to go Joby <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.